Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to Jesus, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Speak, Lord, for we, your servants, are listening. Speak your word into our hearts that we might better know your love and be better empowered by your spirit to go and love the way you do. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Amen. Uh, to start this morning, I have a very important question for you. You ready? How do you hold hands? Are you one who, when you hold the hand of your sweetie or your child, Wrap your fingers around and hold your hands still? Or are you one who lets your thumb wander and caress? It's an important question, right? Where are my thumb caressers? Not very, come on! I am an unabashed thumb caresser. Deanna is not. And it has taken me 20 years to learn how to love my wife better 
by not sending shivers up her spine by caressing her hand with my thumb. Can anybody relate to this? Am I the only one? It's a yes, yes, uh-huh. It's, it's, it, it's, it's all kinds of things for her. She doesn't like gentle touch. I am a thumb caresser. And one of the things that I've learned and one of the things that we're going to talk about today from uh, this uh, uh, chapter, John 3, is that the magnitude of your love is important. But the manner of your love is just as important. Now, I, I confess it's taken me 20 years and I still get it wrong sometimes when I'm holding my bride's hand and she lets me know. <laughs> it, 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 it is important for me to express to her, Deanna, I love you. But that immense love that I have for her doesn't feel like love when I'm gently rubbing her hand. Right? Does that make sense? Loving in a way that she wants to be loved is important. Not just loving the way I want to love. Right? Gary Chapman and his five love languages is a, a helpful book in figuring out what's your love language and what's your loved ones, what's your kids' love languages, and, and figuring out how people want to receive love versus how we want to just give it. And, and, and empower an important part of relationships is learning to love in the way people want to receive it. And it's a hard lesson. But it's important for spouses, for children, for grandchildren. It's important. The manner of your love is just as important as the magnitude of your love. Does that make sense? That, that's what we get into a little bit as we get to this, if it's not the most popular, it's certainly in the top two most popular Bible verses in all of Christendom, John 3.16. Right? So much has been said about it. So many have it memorized. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's the gospel story in its smallest form. And so today I want to talk a little bit about some prepositions from this passage. Those are the small words. I had to ask some Smarter friends than me. What is that? What do we call those small words again? Prepositions. Yes, prepositions. We're going to talk about prep prepositions today. And the first one is, is the third word, for God so loved. The word so. Have you thought about this word? And, and, and in the Greek language here, and we're not going to go into a great Greek lesson, but there are two ways in which this word so from this popular Bible verse can, can be understood. The first is probably how most of us read it. God loved the world so much that he gave his son. Right? And, and that makes sense. We rest, God's love for you is so massive. His, the magnitude of his love is so great that he was willing to give his son for you. Amen? 
God's love for you is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. It has no limit. God's love for you is limitless. His love for you never runs dry. It never runs out. But it's more than just that. It's more than just the amount of God's love. It's the manner of, his God, of God's love too. Because that's the second way that we can read this word, so. God loved you in this way. He gave his son. God loved you specifically by doing this, giving his son for you. It's not just how much he loves, but it's the specific manner in which his love is delivered to you. Let me give you an example. Yesterday, we had another wonderful day of Go Day here at Prince of Peace, right? If you hadn't heard about it, um, it it's an amazing opportunity for us. We partnered with an incredible organization. They were here a couple, two, couple weeks ago, uh, the Gathering People, and we do mission projects here within our own area, right? And so we had three teams out yesterday. One was here at the church cooking uh, massive casserole dishes for our local firefighters. Isn't that awesome? That's so cool. That is so cool. Food is my love language. Right? Amen? I, come on. Who, come on. Come on. Yeah, okay. A couple more on that, right? So we, we blessed firefighters with like tons of food yesterday. That's amazing. We had another team that was over in Sharpsburg, and they were, uh, came along a, a couple, a family that was uh, facing hard times and mobility stuff, and so we, we spent the day cleaning up their yard, power washing and, and trimming and getting rid of and beautifying the place. It's incredible. I, I was a part of a team uh, uh, down in Sonoy that... that had a, a, an old man, Mr. George, who uh, is, is not quite there, but he's almost at the point where mobility is a real struggle. And he's got a wheelchair. And so we spent the morning building a ramp so he could get in and out of his house. That's pretty cool. We had another group here that worked almost all day here in Fayetteville, completely tearing out over yesterday, or, or excuse me, over Friday, and then rebuilding yesterday a, a kitchen that had rotted everywhere. And so they replaced all the joists, redid some plumbing, and put some subfloor down so that we can continue to work with the gathering people and other groups to rebuild this lady's kitchen. Pretty amazing. Pretty incredible. Pretty awesome. We loved yesterday as a congregation. Like the people that were there certainly did, but as a congregation, this is an effort that we have supported. We've supported it financially. If you give uh, to our congregation financially, if you tithe, if you are, uh, participate in an offering, some of that money goes to these efforts. You're a part of this. That's amazing. And so we loved, like I, I loved yesterday because, uh, how much did I love? I, I gave up a Saturday morning. I woke up early, right? And we all have this understanding that we're called to love our neighbors, and, and that's beautiful, and I love that. And, and I can say, 
I try to love my neighbors, and I try to do that in a big way. But the manner in which I love, the manner in which you love your neighbors, it was with hammers and nails and pasta and power washers. That's the way love was delivered yesterday. Amen? Does that make sense? So the magnitude of your love, yeah, that's great. But what's the manner of your love? How is it delivered? How do you show your love specifically? That's a little bit of what Jesus is sharing with us. He's foreshadowing in John 3.16. God so loved the world this much, but also this way. God loves this way. So what way is that? Right? That's the next question. And, and to understand that, we have to look at the first preposition, for. In, in Greek, the word for always links whatever is in that verse to the verse before it. So when, when John 3.16 begins with the word for, immediately you can say that this only makes sense when you understand the verse before it. And the verse before it is a little bit about what we talked about in confession. This strange story from Numbers 21, where the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness, and they were impatient, and they were frustrated, and they were tired, and they were cranky, and they began to speak out against God. And to knock them back in line, Scripture says that God sent serpents. Why does it always have to be serpents? God sent serpents to bite them, and some died. Serpents are nasty in the Middle East, right? I mean, they're nasty here. Let's not kid ourselves. But they're really nasty in the Middle East, right? And so they were dying. And so they, the, the Israelites, and this was kind of their theme throughout their, the, the, the whole wilderness experience. God would do something. The, the Israelites would celebrate. Time would go, and they would lose their, their memory, and they would begin to grumble. And then God would do something that would kind of snap them back into attention, and then God would miraculously save them. It's the theme over and over and over again through their grumbling. And so the way that God delivered, the way that God saved the Israelites in this strange story from Moses in the book of Numbers is the Lord said to Moses, make a, make a serpent and put it on a pole and raise it up. And when people are bitten by the serpents, have them look at the serpent and they will be healed. Right? It's this story where we get that medical emblem, right, of the, the cross with a serpent spiling around it. it. It comes from this story, which makes sense because if you've been to a doctor, you know that, man, hospitals are not fun. Oftentimes, the, the method of, of how you get better is by, like, cutting into you destroying part of you, right? Biopsies and chemotherapy and all these things that, that are not life-giving to you, they're actually trying to kill part of you, right? 
And yet the hope in most medical treatments is that you find life, that you are restored. That that was the story of the serpent, right? The implement of death became the path to life. And so Jesus is saying to to Nicodemus and to you this morning, God's specific manner of love is this, that he is going to love you by doing the same thing the serpent did. The instrument of death is going to be the path to life. He will be lifted That's the word, lifted up. That becomes a key word in, throughout the, the gospel of John and throughout our theology, that, that Jesus in his saving work is lifted up. And the first time we, we, we do this, and, and Jesus talks about it in a number of different places, he talks about being lifted up. Here is the first one. The Son of Man will be lifted up. That, that, that becomes the specific language that Jesus uses to talk about the way he dies. That he will be lifted up when he's crucified, when his arms are stretched out, and he is hung from a cross to die. Because they they actually lay the cross down and they nail him in and then the Roman soldiers would lift the cross up. And as they did so, there was a hole in the ground where the the foot, the base of the cross would, would, would fall down so that it would stay vertical. And as it did so, it did so with such a, a violent jerk that his his shoulders would have been dislocated. And there he hung to die. So you might live. The magnitude of God's love is vast. But it's the manner of his love. It's the way in which he loves you. That makes all the difference. Jesus is lifted up on the cross. Three more things that I want to share with you about Jesus being lifted up. Is the, the second one is when he's lifted up out of the grave. When he's lifted up in resurrection. That that's where life happens for us. That, that's where hope is revealed. That's where this manner of God's love is most clearly displayed. That his glory is most beautifully displayed when he's hanging on the cross to die for you. And he's, when he's raised up as the victor over death, he is lifted up. The third is when he is lifted up at his ascension up into heaven. Right? I think it's important, and I think we sometimes forget because we don't see Jesus walking around anymore. We think about the resurrection and that that happened, but then like maybe he died again because we don't see him anymore, right? Maybe that's not what we really think, but because we don't see him, it, 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 it's, it's difficult for us to understand that, no, Jesus is still alive. He is alive. 
He was lifted up into heaven where he lives. He's on the other side of death. He's defeated death. And he's alive. This is God's manner of love. This is the way in which God loves you. Because he has given you a path to look upon the one who died. That one day, you too will have eternal life. This is God's love. The final way in which God is lifted up is that he's lifted up in you. Jesus is lifted up in you. Right? I mean, it all started, right? That it, it, Shortly after the opening frames of Scripture, we have this episode of the fall, right? That's what we call it, when Adam and Eve and the fruit and all that, and they, they, they became fallen, right? That, that means we're less than human. The only human that's ever lived is Jesus. We're less than him. But by the grace of God, Jesus lifted up on the cross. Jesus lifted up from the grave. Jesus lifted up into heaven. And Jesus is lifted up in you that you might become more than you are today. This is how God loves you. This is his love. In this way. That you would be loved that you would find life in him. Jesus hides his glory in surprising places. The the glory of, of the Lord was revealed in a serpent in the wilderness. The glory of the Lord is revealed upon Jesus on the cross. And the glory of the Lord is in you it's in you so love love we we talked about the the magnitude of god's love and his limitless love for you and then we got into the specific way he loves The final point I want to make is this, that in this beautiful summation of the gospel of John 3.16, right before we have a very specific story connected to the, the people of Israel, and then John 16 talks about his love for the cosmos. That's the word that we have for world here. God so loved the cosmos. And I think that's beautiful, and I think that's important. But I I think it's also important to remember that it's specific. When we think about the world, we think about generalizations. But God's love and his manner and his magnitude is specific and it's for you. So flip the slide. There's a blank there. We know that it says the world. But, But I want you to read that scripture one more time 
And where the blank is, I want you to put your name. And read it. Read it with your name there. God's love, the magnitude of his love is unending. The specific manner in which he loves is vital and it's the path towards our life. But don't forget his love is for you. It's for you. It's for you. In the name of Christ. Amen.